Too often, once someone receives a diagnosis of any type of dementia, they are seen as just that, a person with dementia, and they are no longer seen as the amazing individual they are. They may be viewed as someone who is quiet and shy, when in reality, they are extremely intelligent and outgoing. Before the diagnosis is a book, a love story, and a labor of love. It is the story about human beings, moms, dads, attorneys, teachers, sailors, dreamers, doers, and lovers. They are about people like you and me, people with hopes and plans for the future, who lived or are still living a life worth remembering. We hope this book opens eyes and helps the world see people and who they were before the diagnosis. This episode is brought to you by Family History Films. Visit myfamilyhistoryfilm.com to find out how they can preserve your family history in a fascinating documentary film. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. On the show with me today is Jincy Hines. She is the creator and editor of Before the Diagnosis, Stories of Life and Love Before Dementia. I think you're going to absolutely adore Jincy and her story and how she became an author and an editor. Thanks for joining me, Jincy. We're here today to talk about your book, Before the Diagnosis. It's an anthology. So can you tell me a little bit about that one? Oh, absolutely. This is the cover. Actually, it's a picture I took down our street one day. And it's called Before the Diagnosis, Stories of Life and Love Before Dementia. And it is an anthology, as you said, of 36 essays. Um, And each one was written by a family member about their loved one and what they were like before their diagnosis of anything under that dementia umbrella. You know, dementia, um, MCI, you know, mild cognitive impairment, Lewy body, uh, frontal temporal, Alzheimer's, you name it, we pretty much covered it. So we have four sections in the book. And part one is essays about mothers and fathers. Part two is husbands and wives. Part three, there was no good way to say everyone else. So it is, so I called it extended family. And it's like about a grandfather. Uh, One woman actually lost two children to a childhood dementia type. And so there's, or she lost one child and the other one's actually still alive. So there's two separate essays by her about each of her two children. Um, They're written about like a grandfather, an aunt or uncle, things like that. And then the last section is what I called family relationships, which sounds weird, but... (laughs) What it is was there were some families where more than one family member wanted to write the essay. And like, I thought it was wonderful because the first one, for example, the first gentleman, three different people in the family wrote about him, his wife. So that's one perspective. One of his sons, which gives us a second perspective, and a grandchild who is not the daughter of the son that wrote. That's her uncle. So we have three people who wrote there. The second essay is um, written by both the wife and the son, the grown son of a man. And the third essay is, the, or the third section is the one about my husband. And I, of course, I wanted to write about him. And one of his brothers did as well. So it was, you know, you have that different perspective because what his brother knows about him, I don't, didn't know my husband when he was growing up. And then in a sense, what I experience as a spouse is not what my brother-in-law would experience either. So what's lovely to me is that um, I've never met some of the people who wrote these essays. 
I've met lots of them, and but there's lots I haven't met. And they're even in uh, one woman is over in Switzerland. Neat. Yeah, and we have like someone in Canada. So I mean, let, unfortunately, it is a universal problem. You know, people all over the world are familiar with this one. So, and one of the things that I have to say I really like about this book is that um, over 90% of the proceeds are split between four different nonprofits. So, which nonprofits would that be? Oh, sure. Put me on the spot. (laughs) I know the answer. No, no. Um, I know the answer. Alzheimer's Orange County, the Alzheimer's Association, uh, the Louis Body Dementia Association, and the Alzheimer's Foundation and Research Prevention, I think it is, they're in Arizona. And I, it was the first time I had done something like this. You know, you get this idea. It's a great idea. You think, oh, yeah, I think, I think I should do this. And maybe I should tell you why I thought I should do this book. That was my next question. <laughs> You're never going to get to ask one. You just started the first one and I'll just finish from there. That's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. I'll just sit go, here and listen. <laughs> go get some coffee. Come back later. Well, so my husband was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment when he was 55 years old. It was completely out of the blue. I had never heard of such a thing in my life. Um, I had just turned 49 the day my husband got lost driving. It was on my birthday, in fact. And our son was only in junior high. And it's interesting when I look back on it, because when I would talk to doctors, when I would send emails about information, that was kind of like how my story began. I would say, he's only 55. I'm only 49. We have a son in junior high. And I realized later, it was almost like I was pleading my case. If I lay these facts out for you, you will understand why this is wrong, why this is not correct. The first email I sent reaching out for help with Alzheimer's Orange County that I was like, but my husband's, you know, 55, I'm 49, our son's in junior high. So obviously this is not the right spot. You'll and be she like, was That's like, that Jinsey woman. Her husband's 55, she's 49, <laughs> have a son in junior high. <laughs> and so when they wrote back, they were like, yes, we have classes for you to take. And I thought, well, you're totally wrong because uh, how could this be happening at my age and his age? And, you know, this is just, it, I'd never, ever heard of such a thing. I mean, I hope this isn't offensive, but, you know, Alzheimer's was for old people. That's like a pretty common thought. People. Like people over 80. I was like generous in my oldness. Oh, 80, older. And at the time of my husband's diagnosis, my parents had passed away. I dodged a bullet. If his parents had a problem, you know, that was going to be his family of three boys, their issue, not, not mine. I'm the daughter-in-law. So, you know, my, I sent my husband to the doctor the first time by himself when he said, I should go and have this checked. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I don't know why. And then he came back with some misinformation about that, you know, that he was supposed to get an MRI. And I figured, well, he must have been dying because we were with an HMO and they never do an MRI two days later. So I sent him, I went with him that time. And the doctor gave us this whole list of, and this was a do, an old school doctor, you know, black bag type of doctor. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. But he was actually very, very good. And there was this whole list of tests my husband would need. And I thought, huh. 
this is fascinating. They're wasting so much money. Okay. And he said, you know, I'm not quite sure how quickly some of these will be scheduled, but you know, um, you know, they will contact you. Well, by the time we got home and it, it's probably a 30 minute drive from this particular doctor's office, there were already two messages waiting on the home answering machine, trying to schedule these next follow-up tests with us. Yikes. He, yeah. So they pretty never much, move that quick. No. So pretty much between October 16th and the end of November, he had everything done. I put it except a colonoscopy. He had his eyes checked. Oh, yeah, his teeth didn't have to be checked. I think they checked his hearing. <laughs> the colonoscopy <laughs> is not attached. <laughs> no, but it was like everything else. I mean, he had, you know, the PET scan and the CAT scan and that weird thing where they put the thing that looks like a shower cap on your head with electrodes coming out of it. I always get them mixed up. And the EKG, I mean, they checked his heart. They checked everything. And I was like, this is nuts. And then we went back to the doctor's office. And because he had said, well, you know, let us know and or we'll contact you when we have all the results. I was like, hey, time to come in. And so we sat there and he said, okay, so your husband has a mild cognitive impairment. It may or may not lead to Alzheimer's. Um, if this, is the, this is the pharmacy you want your prescriptions to go to. Okay, great. Well, happy holidays and I'll see you in February. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not really sure what he used the a word in there. I got that out of it. I'm not really sure what he said. So I remember I felt like I was just in a daze going back out to the nurse's station where she's like, yeah, here, here's all the information. Here's this and this. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in February. And I was like, um, okay. And it's like, this is going to sound funny, but I think you'll understand. I didn't even know enough to ask any questions. I, I didn't know what to ask, where to start. Why would I want to ask these questions? So we still had the th same 30-minute drive home, and we drove home probably about 23, 24 of those minutes before either one of us spoke. Mm. And I said, mild. He used the word mild. Colds are mild. Lots of things in life are mild. We have mild weather. So this isn't going to be a big deal. This is, this is just mild. <laughs> My husband didn't say much. He was doing a lot of sleeping at the time. And I had no idea, not in the car, but like in his life, you know, like he would have to leave work a lot because he just wasn't doing as well. And okie dokie, sure, whatever. I don't understand. And so we got home. He went and took a nap. And I probably went online, tried to Google mild cognitive impairment, got completely overwhelmed because they kept throwing that dementia word in there as well. I didn't know what they were talking about. I mean, it sounds stupid. I feel very ignorant, but on that topic I was. And then, like I say, then I saw they had classes on this Alzheimer's Orange County website. And I thought, I can do classes. I am really good at classes. I know how to take a class. <laughs> so I sent off this email and they right away replied and said, all these attachments with lots of information explaining what mild cognitive impairment was. I didn't like that explanation. And with like that umbrella picture, that's what I, that one that says dementia, and it shows all the things under the dementia umbrella. And you're like, mm, I think someone is sadly mistaken. And it's Yeah, this is me. the wrong umbrella. Yeah. I don't know why these people keep telling me the same thing. But I mean, I was convinced they were, they were all wrong, not me. It, it could have possibly, there was, I mean, my son was in junior high. Did you catch that part? You know, whoever heard of this happening? And it was like, oh my. So 
my husband worked for Disneyland at the time. And one of his jobs was working with the rides to make sure that the rides were safe and up to snuff. Well, honestly, you cannot have a person with a cognitive impairment safely doing that. Or even if they can do that, that's really just, you don't want to risk the day they're having a bad day. Yeah, definitely. So he, we instantly like hear from the, from Disney, because we had to tell them what was going on. And they're like, oh, you're put out on disability. And I call the doctor's office. I'm like, oh, now we have all this paperwork. I don't know what to do. And, I to go, ah! and he's like, happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Bring the paperwork in. And I felt like I was taking an encyclopedia. It probably wasn't that bad, but it was just like, here, here's paperwork. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was like about a week before Christmas. My husband, this was his dream job, by the way. Oh. And we found out you know, he had to go on disability. And fortunately, when he had started there, they had talked him into getting like a long-term disability plan that helped cover part of his salary. It wasn't like a long-term, like the rest of his life, but it was while he was employed. So that covered a portion of his salary, which involved, you know, then you get involved with an attorney on the East Coast, even though we're on the West Coast, because they're going to walk you through this because the insurance company doesn't want to pay this big chunk. And so they want you to quickly get Social Security. <laughs> and so the insurance company tells you how to properly fill out the paperwork, and it comes with the caveat, but don't worry, you're going to be turned down. Everybody is turned down. And then we reapply, you get accepted, and you get all that money back. And I kept thinking, I don't want that money back. I want my husband to go back to work. This is cool. Still not quite getting it. And uh, so it was shocking because we weren't turned down. Turns out that kind of a diagnosis, you don't really get turned down. When, the doc when you go back and you look at the doctor's paperwork and it says prognosis and it's not good, you go... Oh, so I would kind of like hide the paperwork from my husband. He wasn't interested in it anyway. But yeah, so meanwhile, though, the class that we were going to take started with Alzheimer's Orange County. Okay, I was ready. And I had been pretty cool through all this, except for like one meltdown where I was thinking, how will I ever afford a nursing home for my husband and college for my son at the same time? And then I thought, okay, let's back up. This sounds like something my grandmother never said, but a grandmother would say about don't borrow trouble. So I was like, okay. okay. I guess we'd call it today living in the moment. But it was like, okay, just don't go there. So, okay. So I go to this class and there's like four couples. So you start out together, the couple and two facilitators. And then it was a multi-week class and then they'd split you up. And so the caregiver side would go with one facilitator and the, the other side would go with another facilitator. And we each had our little notebooks and life is good. And we go around the table and we introduce ourselves. And Purple I, folders. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I have a huge, just, I just start bawling. And I'm like, wow, that was exciting. I never expected that. You know, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. You know, that's just not normally me. But yeah, I couldn't even get through my introduction without oh. falling apart. So we go to our class, we dutifully go. And then we're about three, four weeks in. And the woman leading the class says, <clears throat> Can you two stay a little bit later? I'd like to talk to you about something. And I thought, oh, she finally gets the point. She has finally realized we are in the wrong spot. Yeah, it took them a while, but it's okay. And she says, um, oh, yeah, I was real good at this, wasn't I? She says to my husband, whose name is Steve, she says, Steve, you're depressed. And I looked at him and I said, you're depressed? And he looked at me and he said, I'm depressed? And we looked at her and said, he's depressed? And she said, yes, he's depressed. And you need to take him to the doctor. And I said, oh, my God, 
do I stop at the hospital on my way home? Do I go to emergency? What do I do? And she's like, no, you, you go home and, and you make an appointment and you take him to his primary care physician who will probably refer him to someone. I'm like, okay, okay. I don't have to go to emergency on my way home, right? No, no, it's okay. I'm like, okay. And at this point, I was like, oh, no, this wasn't good at all. That was not what she was supposed to say. <laughs> she was supposed to say, oh, we were wrong. So later, though, I mean, again, I'm like, my husband's also standing there. So I don't know how much of this depression conversation I should have in front of him, this man who doesn't know he's depressed. But it would explain why he was napping for four hours a day. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that was not, especially because he slept about 12 hours a night. <clears throat> I know, do the math. Yeah, not much left of the day. And uh, so I later asked her why she said that. And she said, because he has lost his zest for life. And I said, oh, I said, for the last three months, we've been going to the doctor's appointments. And every time we go, I say, my husband has lost the sparkle in his eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, and it's interesting because not one doctor ever asked a question, ever connected. They would say, watch for signs of depression. And I was like, what does that look like? You know, they never told me what it looked like. And I never really knew to ask because I, I guess I should know. And I would think, okay, does that mean I take the knives out of the kitchen? I'm not sure what, what watching for a sign of depression is. You know, he's not walking around like trying to kill himself as far as I can tell. I mean, really, I had no clue again. I've gotten very educated since then, but uh, it's been 10 years. I hope to have gotten educated. I'm um, like to have been educated on something different than this, but that's okay. You know, I've tried to help a lot of people with all of my knowledge over the years. But so it was finally about that time, it was kind of like, oh, this is really real. And okay. So he went to the doctor about this depression. And that was another one of the few appointments I did not go to with him. And she sent him home with a prescription and said, he needs to go see a psychologist. So I pull out the insurance paperwork and I actually just called the insurance company and said, listen, my husband needs to see a psychologist and you need to find one within walking distance. I said, we've had seven appointments this week and it's only Thursday. Oh God. And I said, I can't, I just don't know if I can keep doing that at this rate. So we found one within walking distance for the first one. And he still drives to this day because he still has mild cognitive impairment although he doesn't drive to his psychologist's office anymore. I mean, in normal times, pre this, like last year. Um, but, you know, so he would take himself and to, in the beginning, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's been very, very strange. But I think you asked about why I came up with the book. <laughs> well, because of my husband and because... What I was noticing was with these many doctors we would go to, like we went to a different um, neurologist who actually was more educated about mild cognitive impairment when we left than when we entered the room. <laughs> oh, Lord, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would notice a lot of the people, there was always two of us in the room, me and my husband, and they'd look at me. Well, how's your husband feeling today? He's right there. He can still speak. Would you like to ask him? Oh, oh, okay. And, well, what did he used to do? And I was like, still sitting there, still speaks. So I noticed that not every doctor, I have to say it was, not every doctor, some of them are just to, that we still have, we'll say, that are still part of the team, 
are know what he did for a living, talk to him about it, engage him, because he can still do all those things. But so many people we would encounter would be, oh, he has something related. So about your husband, you know, <laughs> and be like, yeah, no, he. Why don't you talk to him? Have a sentence with him. I mean, not that when we normally go to the doctor anyway, the doctor has a lot of time for chit chat, but at least they're talking to us. And so that's what made me come up with the idea for this book is because I thought, you know, these people, it wasn't just my husband, but we would be in support groups and these people were amazing. And I would hear about these lives that they had that, you know, may they might've been 80. So of course they're not doing what they did at 20 or 30, but you know, but they had these lives that were amazing. Like there's a story in here about one woman and she and her husband, we went to one of the, one of the support groups we went to over the years was, um, you know, us you know, couples again. And the same thing, like the first thing we attended where they would split up the couples after you were there initially. So I was I've heard about that one in my support group. It sounds really nice because the people with the mild cognitive impairment can talk to each other and Yes. Yeah, that, I think that would good. have been really beneficial for my mom, but my parents played denial, not like oh, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you did a much more fun fun way. And he got diagnosed really I mean, most people, it takes a couple of years. You got like yeah, a couple of months. I know it was really fast. I was shocked. Which is probably better. Yeah. Because I mean, you probably felt like you were run over by a truck. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then you could do things early on, like get educated and go yes. to support groups. Yes. And I think it's funny because when I took mom to the doctors, they would always talk to her. Well, how are you feeling today? Fine. <laughs> They'd be like, uh-uh. And, you know, I was like almost like a ventriloquist. I'd sit, you know, and they'd always have their back to me. So it's like they'd ask her questions and she'd give them some, uh, some answer. And I'd be like, mm-mm. That's... that's <laughs> That's not reality. Yeah, and I try to be like really subtle, like, no, that's not true. Looking around the room, pretending I'm not talking to anybody in particular. <laughs> and, and they never talked directly to me. The neurologist was good. The neurologist would look at my mom and talk. And my mom would ramble on, but I would also answer. So that woman was good because she was listening to both of us. She yes. looked like she was ignoring me. Mm -hmm. she, had, she was looking at mom. And, but she was listening to me, and I thought she was really good, but she was always behind because she always gave people lots of time, Oh, which was great, but it was frustrating when you were waiting for her. So it's oh, yeah. interesting that you had the opposite. I mean, my mom was in late stage, and they're trying to get information out of her, which was just dumb. Mm -hmm. And your husband still, you know, can advocate for himself, and they're trying to get information out of you. That's That's one of my goals is to help the medical profession get smarter. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it, some of the things they could do to improve wouldn't be that hard. Like mm -hmm. when you go, who would, who would you like us to address today? You know, they could ask that simple question. The uh, primary care physician my husband has now, he, I really like him and he pretty much talks directly to my husband, but then it, before the appointment's over, he turns and he looks at me and he goes, and what questions do you have today? Because he be knows great. I always do. Yeah. So I don't, I can just wait patiently and I can interject as things go along, but then I get my turn too. And I also, this doctor, I will email him throughout, you know, if I have a question, if there's an issue, if there's something I want him to know, I just use their system, send them an email. And they're very good at being responsive. 
Yeah, I find they like that better. I think yeah. that's what yeah. I found with mom's doctors. But I think one of the big things that needs to change besides their understanding, because with mm-hmm. me, it was always like, why do they not get that it's two patients? The physical yes. body of mom and the one person that has the information that you need. Like you yeah. need me there. You cannot treat her without my presence because you're not yes. going to get any anything from her. And that That's was frustrating. So I'm like, so why do you guys not a lot? It's like, oh, she's the gal with the advanced Alzheimer's. Let's, we, we need to make that a 15 minute appointment or not five or whatever. Right. Make. Or, no, I and agree. I know they get paid. There's because I've advocated for this, you know, I don't know if you've gone to our state advocacy day in February. Oh, you'll be that. surprised to hear my husband has. No, I, I was there. One of the guys on my team, um, he's not too far from here. He's probably a little, probably in his sixties, maybe older. He didn't look older, but I vaguely recall somebody mentioning his age and he didn't look at his age at all, but he's living with Alzheimer's and he was there advocating in February at the state Capitol, which we're in California. So it's Sacramento for those people who aren't listening or who aren't, don't remember where I live. (laughs) There we go. Um, And one, one of my very first guests is a huge advocate she has early onset Alzheimer's mm. and I was shocked because I talked to her in um, March of 2018. And then I saw her in February of 2019 mm-hmm. and she recognized me and we'd only ah. seen each other once. And I thought, dang. And she's like, I was wearing this shirt that says, says oh, okay. hashtag all's podcast. And she said, Oh, Hi. She's and she, I don't know if she remembered my name, mm-hmm. which is fine. I remembered hers, but that was easy. I'm really bad with names. <laughs> and I was shocked that she remembered me. She recognized me. She remembered me and, you know, and details. Not like when I used to photograph weddings, I'd be in the grocery store and be like, oh crap, that gal looks familiar. Who is that gal? And so you'd like <laughs> try to avoid them. And then you find out it's the mother of the bride. And it's like, oh crap, why, why not? What was her name again? And, most of the time, it's because they didn't look the same. Oh, yeah. Nobody looks as good as they... Nobody in the grocery store looks as good as they do at a wedding. That is true. So, but there was times I'd be like... I would, like, literally, like, slink away to another aisle because I can't remember who that is. and I don't want to embarrass myself. Oh. So, how did you connect with the people that are in the book, especially the ones you've never met? Ah, Good question. I'm like, that's probably another very good story. Let me get comfortable. (laughs) I know. I, 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 my growing up, my brothers used to say it was easier to read the book or actually shorter to read the book or watch the movie than hear me tell about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I did was I started out by mentioning when I got the crazy idea that wouldn't this be a fun book? Um, I started to mention it in support groups. Hey, I have an idea for a book. Do you want to give me your essay? And then I reached out to the different support groups and Alzheimer's organizations in our area and said, hey, can you tell your people, you know, their caregivers about this idea I've got? And then I put it on Facebook and Twitter. And through all of those, I just would get someone or someone would know someone or, hey, my my husband had it and my aunt also had it. So can her family write about her? And when I started, I was hoping, I was really hoping for 12 essays. Maybe I'll get 12. I hope I get 12. I won't be embarrassed if I only have 12. It'll just be a skinny book, but I'll I'll have 12. And we ended up with three times that number. 
And in addition to, like I was saying, that there's um, essays where one person is the subject of two or three essays. There's also like two sisters who together, they don't live near each other, so they did it, you know, virtually, but two sisters who lived near, who wrote together about their father. So it's, you know, and um, some of the essays are super creative. Like uh, one, she wrote it um, and set it off with titles of Frank Sinatra songs. Hmm. So it's quite beautiful. And uh, some of them are, you know, not written. I mean, most of them are not written by professional authors or writers. And then a few people submitted either their eulogy that they had given or a modified version. Um, once submitted literally the eulogy, thank you for coming today. And it was like, oh dear. <laughs> okay. I was like, yeah, no problem. I can do this. And so some required more editing than others. And some required the guidance of, hey, I see you mentioned your brother Rob in here. Do you have Rob's permission to bring up his name? And the next version, Rob would be missing. <laughs> so that was okay. But that was, um, so I did a lot of editing and changing things. So like, it wasn't as though they were actually speaking their eulogy in this book. I didn't want it to be that. I wanted someone to read about the person, not thank you for coming today. Cause that yeah, doesn't that's, work. That's a little weird. Yes. But what I would do was I would edit it and then send it back to say, do you approve? Do you not approve? And the people who were the authors were less likely to approve their essays, their edited essays, and that's okay. And the people who were not authors were like, oh, sure, I don't care. And a couple people were like, I want to do an essay. I don't know where to start. So I'd say, okay, you know, one was a woman who lived nearby. So I went over to her house back in the old days and yeah. we sat across the table from each other, not wearing masks. And, you know, I would just ask her questions about her loved one and took notes and then said, I will put something together and I will email it to you to give you a place to start. So, yeah. So on the back of the book, you know, for example, I say, and this is actually in the introduction as well. It says, you know, this book is a love story and a labor of love. It is an anthology of stories by 36 authors, each about a relative they have known and loved before that person was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or another type of dementia. First and foremost, these stories are about human beings. They are about moms, dads, attorneys, teachers, sailors, dreamers, doers, and lovers. They are about people like you and me, people with hopes and plans for the future who lived or are still living a life worth remembering. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. And then I used to be a shy person. <laughs> really? Yeah. Through <laughs> I high was school. too. <laughs> yeah. Through high school. And then I got to college and changed. And so then this really brought me out of my shell because I was, um, being filmed for a video for Alzheimer's Orange County and found out that the man who was putting the film together, his father had passed away from Alzheimer's. I was like, Hey, I'm writing a book. Do you want to contribute an essay? <laughs> it's in here. I will tell you his essay is in here. Now what's interesting is there's a lot of celebrities, of course, that you hear about their parent. And it, I have always thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if Maria Shriver or Jane Seymour or not Jane Seymour, Oh, uh, Joan London. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of people out there. The guy from Will and Grace. Um, what a great way to put it. I'm so sorry. I don't, oh, Sean Hayes. Thank you. Sorry. Um, and I'd like an essay from you. But uh, <laughs> if any of them would contribute an essay to the book, that would be, you know, pretty cool as well. 
because it ha- it's in, it doesn't matter. It's all, people in all walks of life. It doesn't matter if your family is barely getting by or if your family is a multimillionaire and a celebrity that we all know their name. And like Sandra Day O'Connor has Alzheimer's? Oh, yes, she does. Yes. In fact, um, I've learned more about her because that's, my son goes to that law school, in fact. Oh, cool. And there yes. was another Supreme Court justice whose husband had Alzheimer's, though, so she stepped down, I think? I it, same remember. one. Actually, Sandra Day O'Connor's husband had Alzheimer's. And now so she, she does. she stepped down. And that, yes, that's why she left the bench. And she wow. stepped down. And I did contact her organization and they said she really can't do anything like that. That's raising money for something. And then a couple of years later, yes, they announced she had it. And then she's kind of stepped back into a more private life. Which makes sense. Yeah, were you an author before? Um, I was a, just a co-author with four other people and some caregiving book tips books that we'll talk about another time. But um, yeah, that's it. And before that, nope. Just kind of like, I think I'll just do this. And yeah. Like I thought, oh, I don't find a podcast on Alzheimer's caregiving that I like. I'll just start my own. (laughs) See, there you go. I often think it's sort of like we used to hear about the Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, you know, let's put on a show kind of movies. Kind of like that. Let's write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Because why not, right? I mean, Might as well do something positive. Yeah, and, and I did. You know, we ended up using um, the self-publishing platform Lulu.com to publish the book, and I'm very happy with it. My friend uh, Trish helped me. She did all the, the the Lulu side of it, so I didn't even have to worry about it. But I did contact a few publishers, and some people were interested. You know, in some of the small publishing houses. But it came to the point where the people who were still alive who were written about in the book were starting to pass away from Alzheimer's. And there is a man who wrote an essay about his wife. And I knew this couple and he was around 90 and I wanted the book published before he died that I just really wanted it done before he died. And I was afraid if I went with a publisher, you know, a a regular, you know, more conventional publisher, it wasn't going to happen in the time I needed it to. So we did it this way, and yes, it was published before he died. It wasn't that he was sick. It was just that he was older, and it was probably <laughs> out for a year before he passed away, but I really just, I wanted that for him, you know? So, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm happy with it, you know? Um, yeah, I'm very, I was very happy with the process, very happy with, you know, every bit of frustration I may have encountered was 100% worth it for the day I could say, we have a book. And here it is. And it's funny because my husband was reading his essay. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of the things when someone edits the essays and uh, somebody did edit mine as well. But if you told me you were 35 in your essay, I don't know your age. So I would assume it's fine. Right. I would just believe it. I put the wrong year for my husband's diagnosis. Oh, whoops. <laughs> and my husband caught it. And thankfully, it was just like in kind of the pre, the first, the first, like the preview copy of the book. And I had to call my friend and say, I messed up. <laughs> yes, I messed up. And then, of course, then you're like, then you get to be picky. Well, as long as we're changing that, let's change this, that, this, that. You know, it's, it's exciting. Cascading edits. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, just, it was interesting just thinking about like how, how to lay it out. 
Cho's essay is amazing, by the way. This is the first, I opened the book with it. She wrote such an amazing essay about her father. And so, I mean, so with each essay, it's laid out that it has the title and it has who wrote it. And then just a short piece about the subject of the essay. And they could write a sentence or a short paragraph about the person. And then at the end of the essay, and they, you know, people say, well, how long an essay do you want? It's kind of like, you know, the first book I did set um, a, a word count, but some of the essays needed more words, and so they have them. And at the end, the author could tell about themselves. Mm. So I give a chance for each person to do that. In the beginning, you know, we have a table of contents, and then in the back, we have, um, we have an index by author. Oh, that's because helpful, too. Yeah, and because people are going to buy the book because you put a story in it, so they want to see your story, Jennifer. They want to skip the others. They don't necessarily, they don't know what you called your essay. So, but if they can just go to the back and go, oh, look, Jennifer, there's your essay. And a couple people did not want their last name used. They, so we didn't. You know, it's very simple. Their, their last name is not in here, and that's okay with, that's how they wanted it. Um, a couple people, you know, I, the spin on their essay uh, was kind of, there was one in particular where the person was really negative about the family and how they hadn't helped. It was really vocal in their essay about that. And I finally went, can we do this with it instead? I really, I would kind of put it that we really want to shine a light on your mother and what your mother was like. We don't even want to give these other people the time of day. That probably helped resonate with changing the direction. Yeah, you know, we don't, we don't even need to acknowledge those people, you know, why, why do that? And that did help, you know, yeah, there were a couple, like one person was like, well, I don't know anything about my father. And I was like, well, did he do this? Did he do that? And then it was like, oh, 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 okay, I see what you want to do. And, but there were people who said, yeah, I want to do it, but I don't even know where to start. And I thought, I totally relate, you know, because even with my husband, it was like, at that point, we'd been married 20 years. Um, pick something. Just, but, but it can only be this long. You know? yeah. But you can't tell the whole 20 years. So you kind of were saying, hey, this is who they are. This is, this is what, what's hidden from me now sometimes. But this is the part you know, that you want people to know. Well, that brings me up. So we're going to pivot a little bit. Be so my we're recording guest. this during the shelter-in-place mandates, the stay-home mandates, whatever we want to call it. How is yes, Steve handling that? Um, for the most part, good, probably decent, like the rest of us or decently like the rest of us. He, he, you know, I have to say, you know, um, after he was diagnosed, he decided, well, that had taken part of his brain. And so he needed to work out the other part of his brain. And like I say, he still drives now, but he decided to start taking some community college classes. So he's taken like art, um, painting, sculpting, and, welding but the class he's in right now is woodworking which is cool he made a table he last semester and he made a picture frame and he made something else equally nice oh a cutting board that i don't use um (laughs) woodworking have you ever tried to do woodworking on a computer um zoom from your home no my mom did woodwork wood woodworking yeah. And it should have been a bigger clue. I mean, we'd knew, known for years that she had a problem. Like I said, they were, she was good on denial. And 
There was some big excuse about why she couldn't go back. It was uh, expensive. There was something about the instructor not being helpful, which she probably thought he wasn't being helpful, but it was probably because it didn't stick. Mm-hmm. So, but she made um, like little flat birdhouse oh, decorations wow. that they sold through her Seroptimus group. Oh, that's it was, neat. It was like something she made for the, like as a fundraiser. I have a little uh, trivet, so like uh-huh. a wooden hot plate thingy, hot, you know, for putting right, hot stuff yeah. on. Um, she made a wine bottle holder, wine rack. For my niece, this was, let's see, my niece is 14 and a half. Oh, okay. So she was probably two-ish, close to two. My mom made this beautiful rocking horse. Oh, wow. For, for Christmas. Um, yeah, I feel bad for my niece and my nephew because my daughter's 28. So my, mm. my daughter got all the good years of grandma. Yeah. And then when my daughter was, you know, snotty teenager, grandma was starting to become really kind of a pain in the rump. And the other little <laughs> other, the, my niece was around. So the niece got a lot of the attention. So that all worked out kind of timing wise, but my nephew came into the family, he's adopted. So he didn't get any of the good years with mom. Oh, so that's, that's, that's really yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I get, that's my, when the, Sad feelings come over my. It's not sad that she's gone. It's sad that I. I just. I keep saying, "Oh, poor mama," which I never called her mama, but whatever. You know, it's like what should have been. And like this morning, my mom or my mom. Guess who's on my head? My husband was saying he was. We're riding our bikes. He's like, you know, I'm thinking about what it would have been like if mom didn't get Alzheimer's because she's only mm. 77. She turned 77. Oh, she was January. young. Yeah. yeah. So it was like 77 years and like two and a half months. Mm. So like seriously, not very old. No. Especially compared to my grandmother who's 102. Yeah. Which every time I say that, I just, ugh, I get a little bit tired. <laughs> so yeah, my mom did woodworking. My mom was super creative. So, you know, I tried to engage her on creative stuff, but because I, I started too late, my, I, unfortunately my education I learned a lot, but I didn't learn it soon enough for uh, her, the best of her benefits. But I've talked to people who, like I've got a friend, she's also a past guest, whose dad is 93. He has Lewy body dementia. Uh, and he's really struggling. I mean, mm. a couple of days ago, he hadn't eaten, he hadn't drank anything all day. He hadn't urinated all day. Oh, which is definitely not good. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, it's mid-April. I'm like, could you get some, it's like, are watermelons available? <laughs> like, feed him watermelon because it's super, I mean, it's watermelon. Right, right. <laughs> and she said, well, I got a cup and a half of it in him this morning. I'm like, that's good. Yeah, it's a um, start. Wow. That's a lot of liquid. And it it's is. a lot of fiber. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but she thinks he's depressed. And he goes to an adult day program here in town. And so does another support group member. And I said, you know what? My grandfather always said, you're not going to get out of this life alive. I said, why don't you guys just meet at the church where the social, you know, the day program is just sit on different benches and just talk, just, you know, give him some other face to look at, you know, give you a little different break. And She's contemplating that because I said, you know, if we're protecting them from getting this virus, but they 
decline much more rapidly, are we really doing them a favor? I mean, this is a really, that's a really horrible question to have to be contemplating. And I'm glad I don't have to contemplate it. Yeah. But he's, he's doing good with online classes. That's awesome. And how long has it been since the diagnosis? Uh, it was 10 years in December, um, okay. but it's funny because they can't really do the woodworking online, but every yeah. it's a two day a week class. So every Monday, Wednesday, though, the instructor, bless his heart, does a Zoom lecture and shows them stuff in his workshop or a video of something, how he was trying to make it. So even though they can't be making it, it's really nice because my husband is still going and participating. And then many days it wipes him out and it's a three hour nap after it. This is like, I don't want to complain. It's not like he has something else to be doing. But then I did hear a report the other day on NPR and it said, are you finding yourself more tired after all these zoom calls? And it's because like the heads are bigger and you can't, you only see this much of the body language to read, not all of it. And, you know, so it does take for all of us actually a lot more brain power to process what we're seeing and doing now using Zoom or whatever technology it is to <laughs> FaceTime, one of the, whatever these things are. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't seen that, but that is, I see, I just find the brain is so fascinating. Oh, I know. I know. I'm, I am amazed and impressed that doctors can actually diagnose these different types of dementia because everybody's brain is so different. And it's like, you know, if you take two people, even from the same family, but their experiences growing up were so different that they're going to show, you know, they're going to, they interpreted things differently that they both saw. It's like two people being at the scene of the crime and their stories are so different. And, you know, I mean, it's like, how do you figure something out when people's brains are that different? I always figure, you know, they say like, they think, you know, Sounds like Star Trek, but, you know, they think, oh, space is our last frontier. You know, like the Wild West used to be the last frontier. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. I think they know more about space than they do about our brains. I think so. I do think so. So yeah. I think the brain is the last frontier. So I hope, you know, if I live to be 102, like my grandmother, mm, that's, that's 49 more years. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's that tired feeling. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. When she said... Well, my, when we interned my dad, it was unfortunately her 99th birthday. Oh, my. And she told my sister, well, I'm, I'm shooting for 105. And I had just turned 50, and he'd been on hospice, and oh. it was exhausting. It was very I'm, – I'm a little nervous for you – know, that was 2017. The beginning of 2017 was horrible. The beginning of 2020 has been horrible. I'm a little nervous about 2023. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, it's I like, I, I can't, con- I, ha- I have to not think like that because we don't want self-fulfilling prophecy. True. But still, there's no more parents to die. So that's, that's a blessing. Yeah, that's can't, a, huh? can't deal with that. Um, but yeah, when she said, yeah, I'm shooting for 105. I just remember like literally sort of collapsing in the chair thinking, oh my God, that's more years <laughs> ahead of me than I've already done. And, you know, I've already done 50, so that's a lot. Oh, yeah. So, you know, but if I live to be 102, I keep thinking, man, if I just get to 100 like she has, all of this history we're living through. Oh, my gosh. You know, just the political history, this pandemic. I'm like, I need to live that long and keep my brain so that I can see how history records what we're going through. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? I know. You know, when we've got all yeah. this technology, so you've got social media and you've got all these videos. And so there's like a lot more input into like, I mean, it's, it's going to be a big sift to figure out how to like, here's what it was like. Yes. They're going to have to like, 
just throw all this garbage. Oh, interesting. That it sure will. It sure will. Yeah. Mm. Well, this is fantastic. So your son must be what twenty three. Perfect. Yes. Good guess. That right on. You did very well. Yeah. Math's not usually my thing either. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. He's twenty three. Is he in college? He's in law school. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, oh, you did say that, Santa Day O'Connor, same law school. Okay. I remember that. It's all right. But yeah, he's uh, just about to finish his second year of law school. So any lawyers watching, please contact me if you need an intern. No. <laughs> need, need to hire a young, nice young attorney in the future. <laughs> this has been fantastic. It has. And now, Jennifer, you are going to contribute a story to the volume two of this, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes. And if anyone else wants to, just let us know and we'll, you know, give them information. But yeah, that'll be great. I'm going to look forward to your story and what angle you take and what period of your mom's life you pick. Awesome. Well, you guys stay well. Thank you so much. You did the same. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow me on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or send an email just to say hi and be a good neighbor and share this episode with friends, family, even a stranger or two. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday.